0: Check out my new book, Reach All Readers, at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini-course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, it's Anna Geiger from The Measured Mom, and today we're going to talk about Set for Variability. It's an oral language task. It's when kids are reading a word using their decoding skills, but they don't quite land on the correct pronunciation. Maybe the word's irregular or it has a schwa. So they adjust the word's pronunciation based on how the word is pronounced in real life. We're going to talk a lot about this today with my friend, Dr. Marnie Ginsberg, who is the creator of Reading Simplified, a Structured Linguistic Literacy Approach. Here we go. Welcome, Marnie. Thank you for
1: having me, Anna.
0: Marnie is a friend of mine. We love to talk business and family and work and today we're going to talk about set for variability because I think that's something a lot of us don't have a firm grasp on and maybe that can help us think a little bit about the text that we give students as well as maybe thinking about a different way to have them approach multi-syllable words. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us, define set for variability for us?
1: Well, it is a mouthful, isn't it? And another easy way to label it would be mispronunciation correction. So when I like that, yeah. So it's the set for variability is a skill that a reader uses to transform a pronunciation error into the correctly decoded form. We've all, if we've been teaching reading, we've all seen this happen. The child looks at the word down and says don't. They recognize "Hmm, that's not a word, so they adjust and they come up with down. So they went from the mispronunciation of don't to the correctly decoded form down and then they're off to the races. So that little cognitive flip is a strategy that kids need to apply. And it turns out we haven't really been studying it until recently. And some really exciting things are being discovered by researchers just in the last few years, especially about the, the importance of this strategy. One study figured out how to actually operationalize it, which is how researchers talk about how to actually demonstrate this skill apart from all the other things that happen when you read. So set for variability, um, uh, a test for that for researchers would be taking it outside of the, re- the written form and just playing a game orally so if i say breakfast can you mm-hmm. transform that into a word that is a real word yeah breakfast, breakfast yeah. yeah or if i say mother you might transform that into mother so that's an oral task and so researchers have said, have discovered that when they give kids that test, it's correlated to a lot of reading measures, particularly word identification, being able to recognize words immediately. And researchers have also noticed when they use that kind of test that it's a second important decoding strategy. And I think this is really important for us to basically change our model most of us have a model of how especially if we come from a phonics background most of us have this model of to get to a decoded word you need letter sound knowledge blend those sounds together and then you come up with the word right those are basically Mm -hmm. the two steps you have to recognize the letter sounds and you have to blend those sounds together especially for a single syllable word with multi-syllable words you might add some other strategies but so those are just two steps and so that's what we focus on that's what we're coaching for and we're planning for that but there really should be a third step it should be letter sound knowledge it should be blending and it should be then mispronunciation correction aka set for variability that is a second strategy other thing that's exciting from research is not only that it's there and that good readers have that skill but also that we can teach it now this is preliminary there's just been a handful of studies showing that you can actually intervene to develop the skill and it will benefit kids in their reading um but from my personal experience with all the programs that I've done for almost 20 years, I have always used that strat- second strategy. With Reading Simplified, I call it flex it. Mm-hmm. You're flexing the vowel of the the O and don't and plugging in the
0: ow. So if with beginning readers, if we're giving them 100% decodable text,
1: as in there wouldn't even be like the word the, for example, they're not going to get any chance to practice this, Correct. They won't get much chance, I guess, because, as you point out, they're not encountering anything that they haven't been taught. I think there might be some chance, because even if they've been taught, it doesn't mean they've mastered it. So sure. um, you could, you. I, I think this is an important point, Anna. You could actually bring this, this strategy into your teaching from day one. So they come, say they're reading something that's highly decodable, which I... Um, we could get into that in a minute like with reading simplified the program that I've been working on for about um almost 10 years now I I advise mostly decodable texts for this reason Mm -hmm. but even if you have a highly highly decodable text and they get to the word um sat and they just kind of whiff on maybe the the ah sound and they say Mm -hmm. sate You can employ this simple strategy by tapping on the A and saying, what else could this be? Mm -hmm. And that's it you're prompting them to use their own cognitive flexibility to play around with the sounds and try to figure it out and so if and by the way if they can't figure it out there's certainly no problem than saying try ah. it's not like you have to always withhold the information and put all the burden on them but you can have a mindset of first see what they can accomplish without your intervention or with the least intervention possible and then if there's frustration or they're not going anywhere then you can always give them the, the bit of phonics information that they need Need.
0: Any other phrases that you would use for coaching besides what other sound could that be?
1: Um, try another. What yeah. else? I like to say, some of the times, kind of affirm, say, yes, mm-hmm. it could be. What else could it be? That's really what I do the most.
0: Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how this applies to multi syllable word reading. So there are different approaches to that. Um, some are very, very structured, some are a little structure more flexibility some mm-hmm. are quite flexible which is right. what more what you would do so talk to us about a, a p- sample long word and how you could use set for variability to help someone read it
1: mm. when okay. kids are ready when they can blend a single syllable word pretty consistently and they've been learning a lot of advanced phonics like the long vowels or the er sound which could be er and her or girl or earth or fur. Um, once that's coming online for the child they're probably already ready for the easiest level of multi-syllable words like two syllable words so we would show them words already chunked like the word funny we would write f-u-n-n because that's the first chunk of sounds and then we'd write y because that's the second chunk and notice that we're organizing it by phonology instead of the dictionary because you don't say fun knee you don't have two n sounds in funny you have one so we because we're focused on speech first language first that's how we organize it so the child sees an example of a a word by chunk and then she would write it by chunks after she's decoded it then she would write it and she would say fun leave a little space e so -hmm. she gets that modeling um, and explicit examples of several simple two chunk words where it's already displayed and she practices writing it and we know writing and connecting the sounds is super helpful for for building orthographic mapping or getting words to stick automatically and helping learn phonics information so so this is a beginning of the process of internalizing how to attack multisyllable words how they function and it becomes um, more and more uh, it, it becomes easier and easier, I should say, for this child to start to pick up the patterns unconsciously of our language. But that's step one. The step two would be, then you move her into a book, whether decodable or, or transitional text. Or if ha- if I have like an older reader, they're immediately into a novel that's co- that's at their level. And then they come to a word, maybe they come to the word alternate, and they chunk it wrong. And then we just, so we would just cover up the chunks and reveal it chunk by chunk with a little card, maybe our finger, so they would see. They would see first all, and they would say all, and then you would reveal the next chunk, and they would say see tur, and so they would say all tur, and then we reveal the whole thing, or maybe cover up the beginning now and just let them see n a t e, and they say Nate, and they say alternate. Oh, alternate which by, mm-hmm. basically right there was a little bit of set for variability because they decoded it "nate," but then they realized that it doesn't really kind of jive with how they've heard that word so then they flex into the right sound which is kind of the schwa i think that's a schwa right alternate net it's almost the mm-hmm. f sound mm-hmm. so um we move from you know a word work activity then into print and then of course we're doing a lot of writing and they're saying they're writing in chunks They can also Mm -hmm. look at words that are already written that aren't chunked. Now this would be kind of phase two. Uh, We just show them a word like difficulties, and then they have to mark where the chunks are. And Mm -hmm. like a a slash between diff and i and kul and t's. And then also maybe they, again, they would map it or say the sounds as they write it. Diff, i, kul, t's. So those are the main... Activities that we use with reading simplified, and what we see is that kids internalize more and more about the patterns of syllabication, Mm -hmm. and so we don't need to give them a lot of rules about the types, open close, for instance. That starts to become internalized because this uh, the brain is amazing at connecting the language system with the orthographic system and doing this work um, a lot of it subconsciously now we're going to have our really truly dyslexic kids that are less skilled at statistical learning but we can still use the same process and then just have more practice with um, the patterns that we think they're not noticing and so, if that pattern is an open-closed type, we could have them sort words by that, but they don't have to label it open or closed, long or short. They could just read words that would f- and then decide whether it fits if- with the sound of ah or the sound of a. So, we're focused mostly on the sounds that they hear. They do the work and um, sort those words, and then these patterns do get picked up by them. Can you
0: uh, go back to statistical learning and explain more about that?
1: The big picture is all of us learn oodles of things about the world through subconscious observation of patterns. We observe patterns of people's faces. And uh, there's just so many things that we're learning all throughout our life, particularly in childhood, where we group things together into categories that help us process information in a split second. We absolutely have to be told how the code works. There's very, very, very few people in this world that will deduce it just by looking at those squiggles. We have to be told how it works. We have to be coached into into the letter sound knowledge. We have to be coached into these strategies that we've been talking about blending and um, set for variability. And we have to practice it. But at some point, and the point varies for each individual learner more and more of the learning becomes implicit because it's observed we observe patterns that we see from reading and then we we're not even aware of it but we know we know how to apply the rule for instance rebecca Treeman has, and her colleagues have done a study where they showed that some first grade readers come to a nonsense word that ends in e a d and they don't say Eid, they say Ed, which is a variation on what you would expect. And these are the better readers. So the better readers know that E A M would be Eam, but E A D would be Ed because they've seen it in the word bread, dead, and instead. Interesting. Yeah. So it's amazing that they can be that young. They've not been explicitly taught, most likely, that sometimes ea is e, sometimes it's s, sometimes, and and know how to apply it. Because we're talking about a nonsense word, because it could be, it could be eat, it could be ed, it could be aid, as the a, mm-hmm. the ea in great. Why are they applying that? They read dead, bread enough times that they're subconsciously, through statistical learning, realizing there's something associated with this ending that's going to trigger me to say eh, but it's subconscious. That's implicit learning through observations of patterns. So that's, that's one way of, for me to explain statistical learning.
0: How is this connected to David Sherr's self-teaching hypothesis? Can you walk us through that?
1: David Scher had a very influential article in 1995 called the self-teaching theory or hypothesis. And it has since gone on to be validated with lots of studies. And and his idea is that we can't possibly be taught every single phonics spelling and we can't be taught every single word because by the time a kid leaves high school, they know 20,000 to 40,000 words. So he says, uh, and there's research behind this, that at a certain point in the process, as a reader develops, because they have, as what Cher says, they have the concept of the alphabetic principle, they have sufficient phonics knowledge, and they have sufficient phonemic awareness, and then they have a decoding strategy. So you couple those things together. You're you're probably seeing kids like this. They're reading a text, and maybe they figure out a word that you haven't taught them, or maybe they figure out a a, um, a phonics pattern that you haven't taught them, because this system is coming online, they're putting all those elements of the triangle, the semantics. Um, or meaning the phonology or sound and the orthography or spelling putting all those systems together in such a way that they're processing and deducing so I remember somewhat they some to some extent learning how to read the word pterodactyl
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it starts with PT which I had never been taught that P-T says T. And so I looked at P-T. I was thinking I've never seen P-T at the beginning of the word. You actually can see P-T right at the end of the word. like, But it would be two sounds and kept. But you don't see P-T ever together at the beginning of the word. Except for these really odd words. So I probably was like put to, I was, you know, had no idea what to do at the beginning of the word. But the rest of the word was fairly easy. Aerodactyl. And that, that was my you know, my orthography kind of kicking in with sounds, and then I, ah, erodactyl, that kind of sounds like pterodactyl, which I have heard that said aloud, maybe once or twice. So then my brain's like, oh, pterodactyl, that PT must be T. Maybe I wasn't conscious of it, because I probably just wanted to get on with the story, <laughs> knowing <laughs> me, and most <laughs> readers. But maybe I read it again, And this time I got a little bit more observation, data, my brain is taking in data of these patterns. And then the next time I saw pteranodon, I might have just gone straight into it and said, pteranodon. So that's statistical Mm -hmm. learning, uh, being, uh, enabling me to do the self-teaching. Okay. So it's self-teaching of phonics, but also I just taught myself not only PT, I taught myself pterodactyl and pteranodon. And so we want to get our kids as quickly as possible into challenging text with with the strong sound-based decoding skills that they need to be able to do that processing that I just talked about to uncork the trickiness of a word like pterodactyl. You prepared the way through explicit instruction, giving them good coaching and how to be strategic, giving the bits of information they didn't know along the way, and now they're off to the races. So maybe
0: you can talk about our last point we were going to cover today, which is how how does this work with decodable text and non-decodable text? Um, we know that with Balanced Literacy, myself included, and many other teachers were having beginning readers, quote, read leveled predictable books, so they weren't actually decoding the words. They were using cues. Um, so they were getting to the words. They were understanding the text, but they weren't technically reading and so we many of us understand that now so now we're, we're not doing that we're having beginners read decodable text and I think that's very useful and within a phonics lesson for a long period of time but how there's so many questions about there I know there's not research that tells us yet how do we decide that these kids are ready to read other types of text how does that work how do we make sure that we're that they have enough knowledge to be successful it's just kind of very sticky
1: it totally is sticky and you're right, we don't really have a clear-cut answer. And I don't think we'll ever actually have a clear-cut answer for X percentage on day five of instruction versus X percentage on day f- 105, you know, it, because each child is so different. If we begin with the un- understanding of how word reading develops, that set for variability is part of it, we will be preparing the way for an earlier entrance into transitional text. And I think that's the big idea that I would like to send out there into the world. The highly decodable texts, if we camp out in them, they could limit the child's opportunity to practice that for variability. They could also limit the child's opportunity to observe the patterns of our language. They can't really do as much statistical learning if they're spending a whole year in CVC texts. Our code is much more complex than that and they need to understand first of all the concept that one sound can have multiple spellings like the O can be the O in boat, the O in snow, the O in home, the O in go, the O in show. When we not only move to decodable texts that have that more sophisticated understanding about how our code works then they can actually have an earlier entree into playing around with sounds and words, which is really what separate variability is. They can also have an earlier entree into that information gathering that you, needs to happen if you're going to be able to do statistical learning. Because when you camp out in one sound, one vowel letter, one sound, it's not how the code works. We need to prepare them for being flexible. And also, they just don't have enough time to observe. The patterns because they if they've only if they don't see the OA until they're in their 10th month of school the beginning of first grade or the second half of first grade they can't they can't do that sophisticated stuff that Rebecca Treeman's research says is happening in in the middle to end of first grade that a kid could read the EAD and say ed but I don't with reading simplified and and, um, all of my tutoring it's not as if I go straight from a decodable text into a uh, transitional text and we never see decodable text again we like to get to about the the fourth advanced phonics sound third to fourth or fifth advanced phonics sound it varies based on the child so they've learned the basic phonics of the short vowels they've learned o and it's various spellings e and it's various spellings a and about then they know a lot of the phonics that so will help them with a book like frog and toad or little bear or messy bessie so we will continue to Choose a decodable text to teach them the I sound and or maybe next week the er sound. But we're also going to be reading a text like Henry and Mudge. Your first and relentless priority is developing that sound-based decoding approach. That the child has Mm -hmm. an attack approach to an unfamiliar word. Not to look at the picture, not to make a guess based on the first letter. But to look at every sound, every symbol, read them left to right. And um, if that's their first approach, and then the next thing they need to do is to have those words that they've decoded become automatically recognized or become so-called sight words, they need to be orthographically mapped. And that takes repetition. And so that's what's so great about these early transitional texts they are really designed for these words that they're not automatic with yet to become automatic, because they're they're, it's constrained to, to how many words are in a text and the, many of them are repeated and they have a lot of high frequency words. What, what uh, is important to know is that the top 300 words represent about 65% of written English. Mm-hmm. So let's teach our kids to decode those words and see them enough so that they can quickly get into Henry and Mudge. Mm-hmm. and then they reread henry and mudge and those words become solid once those words are automatic then they can start to really that's again part of that hockey stick that's when you start to see um an explosion in their self teaching and their recognition of lots of words because they're to some extent they're kind of blowing by all these high frequency words those are not hard all they have to they they read everything really rapidly and then they get to a hard word like Um, challenging, they might slow down and work on that. But then they see words like said and the and into and from and over and mother. And those take no mental energy. Mm -hmm. So if we could release more phonics information to kids earlier, those words would be easier.
0: Well, thank you. This has given us a lot of things to think about. Um, Are there any specific uh, things
1: you want me to share in the episode? I always recommend our activity, Switch It!, as a Mm -hmm. preparatory activity. And so we have that resource at our website. Um, Your goal is to get the kids obviously to learn the letter sounds, but then also to push them into higher and higher levels of phonemic difficulty. So keep raising the bar with the words in those word chains. Don't just stay at three sounds. As soon as they can do that, to some extent, push them to four sounds and then push them to five sounds. And we, at the end of that, we even do switch it with nonsense, nonsense words. So we're really still pushing that cognitive flexibility of sounds and symbols, which I think prepares the way for set for variability. So a lot of people, no matter what curriculum they're using can fold in that activity within, because it just takes about five minutes once you get the hang of it. And it, it kind of hits a lot of skills and strategies that kids need. Wonderful. I will link to
0: any um, workshops that I find that you've got Um, free online, as well as your website. And thank you again so much for taking time to talk to us today. It's been my pleasure, Anna. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.